0: Take your Bibles this morning and we'll go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we're looking together at verses 9 through 16. So the second stanza of this psalm will be there in just a few moments. I want to personally encourage and invite you to our Sunday evening service this evening. Most normally our regular plan is to Uh, Have a testimony where we're hearing what God is doing within the church family. Have a shorter time of instruction from God's word. And then we take time, designated time, to pray for members of our church family. The goal of that service is to rehearse and rejoice in what God is doing within our body. And to pray for that to continue and increase. So it's an important family time and I would encourage you to join us if you're able Psalm 119, verse 9. We hear a lot of advice about how to grow spiritually, don't we? But what actions will make the biggest difference? If you're a believer, you're wanting to grow, you're thinking, well, well, how does this happen? How do I grow? How do I follow Christ? Sometimes I feel like I'm kind of stuck in the mud or I'm just spinning my wheels, Well, according to one study, reading the Bible is the number one action that you can take to grow. When it comes to reading the Bible, hands down, this is the input, the take-in goal that has a direct input on the total score of all other discipleship attributes, writes Daniel M., who's writing reflecting on a study by LifeWay Research. This author continues, the more an individual did the input goal of reading the Bible, the higher they scored in all of the output goals. So the more the church reads the Bible, the better they are going to be able to obey God and deny self, serve God and others, share Christ, exercise their faith, seek God, build relationships, and be unashamed about their faith. That's the good news. Bible reading is strategically important for spiritual growth. But here's the bad news. Most Christians don't regularly read the Bible. According to one source, only one in seven Christians read the Bible at least once a week. Most people, including those who identify as Christian, read the Bible seldom or never. Now, that may or may not be true about our church family, but we do want to make that personal for just a moment here. What kind of time did you spend reading the Bible in 2022? How far did you get? What areas of your mind, heart, and life were addressed as you sought to meet with God in his word? How is your walk with Christ strengthened or diminished by your investment or lack thereof in Bible reading this past year? The single most important aspect of your Christian life is your interaction with God. And there are three main ways, three primary tools. That's what this sermon series here at the beginning of our year is focusing on. Three primary tools God has given us to grow. The word, prayer, and intentional edifying relationships with other believers. We'll see all three of those in our text this morning about God's word. But in a sense, the Bible is the foundation for the other two. You could go as far to say that your relationship to scripture is a direct re- relationship, or rather, a direct reflection of your relationship to God Himself. I want you to think about that and analyze that in your own heart. Your relationship to Scripture is a direct reflection of your relationship to God Himself. When you believe God's Word, you are believing God Himself. When you obey or disobey scripture, you're obeying or disobeying God himself. When we neglect God's word, we are neglecting God himself. Now, I think we understand this to be true. I don't think I've said anything that's surprising so far for us as believers, And yet, if you are anything like me, we regularly lose sight of the value and importance of God's word in our lives. We come up with silly excuses like, I'm just too busy. But but make a comparison. Compare the time you spent on Instagram or some other social media or Netflix or whatever your streaming service is. Add up that time and compare it to your time in the word. Are we really too busy? Is that really a legitimate excuse? There are many good things we do in our lives. But if we're believing what we're saying, the number one way to get closer to God is spending time in the word. What other things are more important than that? Our growth in godliness as believers is directly affected by our time in God's word. There's no such thing as a healthy believer who does not regularly spend time in God's word. This sermon is meant to encourage us, challenge us to again renew our commitments to spend time in the word. Again, as we look at Psalm 119, we're not going to find many new truths that we've never heard before. But the encouragement is to do what we already know to do. To value, to esteem, to again raise before our eyes and our hearts The importance of God's word. British preacher John Blanchard in his book, How to Enjoy Your Bible, writes, Surely we only have to be realistic and honest with ourselves to know how regularly we need the Bible. How often do we face problems, temptation, and pressure? Well, the answer is every day. Well, then how often do we need instruction, guidance, and greater encouragement? And again, the answer is every day. To catch all these daily needs up into an even greater issue, how often do we need to see God's face, hear his voice, feel his touch, know his power? The answer to all these questions is the same every day. So let's look at our text now and, t- and see how God offers himself to us through his word. Let's look down at verse 9. We'll read 9 through 16. This is God's word to us, his people. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding or keeping it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches or over all riches. I will meditate on your precepts, your truths, and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's ask for God's help as we consider this text and our devotion to God's word together. Father, we come before you acknowledging that you are righteous and holy and good. We rejoice in this truth that you have spoken. And through your word, you are still speaking to sinners like us this morning. Father, may we increase our intention to hear you, not just so that we might know facts about specific aspects of our Bibles, but so that we can see and know you. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. We'll argue this morning that to grow in godliness, you must treasure God's word. You must treasure God's word. As you know, this psalm is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's composed of 176 verses in sets of eight and is an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. So what that means is every set of eight is based on a Hebrew alphabet letter. So what I want you to be thinking is this is very intentional in the design. The author took great pains to spend all this time making this acrostic to highlight The value of the word. The eight verses that we'll examine together this morning all begin with the letter equivalent to our letter B. Now, as we begin to look at the passage, consider this question. Why do you think that the longest chapter in your Bible is focused on this topic? Is that an accident? What does that tell us? It's not about marriage, it's not about children, it's not about any relationships we have between human beings. It's not about business or leadership or social justice. Those are important issues. The Bible talks about those and applies itself to different places, to those issues in different places. But it's about what God offers to us through his word. It's not insignificant that this intricately detailed poem describes the desires and passions of the psalmist for God's word, that this is the longest chapter in your Bible. Even the amount is telling you something. Your God is speaking to you through this book. Will you hear him? Will you meet with him? Will you know him? He's made himself available to you. To grow in godliness, you must treasure his word. We'll see this psalm and divide it up into three sections. This section of Psalm 119 first. We're called to pursue God in his word. Verse 9 begins this section of the psalm with a question. It's the only question in the 176 verses. It's an important question that every believer is to be asking. How can a young man or a young person keep his way pure? This passage does specifically address the young person. And really what it's trying to say is, how can you set your whole course of life on the right path? So although it's focused on a young person specifically, it's fitting within a very long chapter focused on all of God's people pursuing God's word. It's telling us something about God's ability through his word to set us on the correct path through life. And the thought here goes also beyond just moral purity? How can he keep his way pure? It certainly applies to that area of our lives. But the question is essentially asking, how can I establish a lifelong pattern or pathway of godliness? How do I walk righteously through this life, surrounded by all the hardships and challenges and temptations of the world? How do I set my heart to follow God all of my days because that is not my natural inclination. How do I fight all the temptations in my life to minimize God? To set him to the side? How do I fight those temptations and be the kind of person that God saved me to be? The answer comes by keeping my path According to God's word, word here refers to the revealed truth as spoken. Think of it; it's word. It what's it's what comes out of the mouth. I will find growth and health and spiritual life itself through the words of God, and they're available. That's what this psalm is saying. They're available. Isaiah fifty-five three says, "Incline your ear." come to me listen that you may live i want you to consider the connection that god makes between his word and the spiritual life that he provides through it remember how god created adam the lord god formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed breathed breath out of his mouth into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature God's breath brought life and that shows up again in our most famous passage well-rehearsed passage about what the word of God is 2nd Timothy 3 16 in connection with the word of God it says all scripture is breathed out by God God could have created many different ways but he speaks that's instructive that's important for us to grasp. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 23, you've been born again, given spiritual life, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. It will last forever. This life in its quality is eternal. And he says, through the tool God used was the living and abiding word of God. We see examples of this all throughout scripture. How does Jesus Christ, the word incarnate, raise a dead man, Lazarus, from that death? By a simple, spoken command. He simply calls him back to life. What is that illustrating about who Jesus is? He just calls, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man lives again. Think of the strange scene in Ezekiel in the valley of the dry bones. In dramatic fashion, God is demonstrating that he alone gives life through his words. How do these dry bones come to life Ezekiel 37, 4, Then he, God, said to me, Ezekiel, prophesy, speak truth, the truth I give you over these bones. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord, and what happens? Flesh comes onto those bones. They stand and rise to life. The point is, the word of God has the power to change your life. It gives you life over and over and over again. Now, there's another application here that this verse addresses. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping his path according to God's word. In verse 9, we see the authority, sufficiency, and power of the word established. And here's what that means. It means I don't have authority over my life. I don't get to say what the path should be. I don't get to say what my identity should be. Because I feel like something or I'm thinking something or somebody's telling me something different than what God's word says. His word is authoritative. I don't come to the Bible with my questions or culture's questions and demand that the Bible answer those. I don't stand over the Bible. The Bible reveals exactly what God wants me to know about him. And we have to admit, sometimes we wished the Bible would say more about specific things than we might have. But that's not up to us. The Bible tells me the path. I have to start with the assumption that the Bible always has the right perspective. That God is in the right, and then seek to understand his view of my questions and concerns. I don't get to challenge his authority, I don't get to question him as to the best way for men and women to interact and order their lives. I don't have the right to claim that my body is my own and decide for myself the proper place of sex in my life. I don't get to live to please myself. God, in His Word, establishes that He is the creator, the designer, my Savior. This isn't harsh of God because, as my designer, He knows exactly how I'm to live. How I was put together, how I will be most satisfied when I'm satisfied in Him. He knows what's best for me. All His ways are always right. He's trustworthy and good. This isn't some cosmic power trip. This is a God who's a loving Father that says, Here's the right path. This is good for you. Follow my path. That's very challenging for us, isn't it? We always want to be in charge. Our hearts are self-deceptive. We need the word to set us on that right course again. How does a person keep pure or right his path in life? By keeping it according to the word. Elizabeth Elliot said, the word of God I think of as a straight edge which shows up our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of Scripture. That's what we measure our thinking and our feeling and our acting by. Verse 10, we continue, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Notice here the object of the psalmist's pursuit. I seek you. Not interested in all the facts of the Bible, though those might be helpful for me to understand him. I am reading the word to know him. To meet with him. The believer's desire should be to go where God is known to be found. Where God reveals himself to us. Psalm tells us it's in this word. Someone once said that some books we read, but the best books read us. They assess us. They make demands of us. They challenge us. They probe and press us. As a result, they're often not easy to read. And the Bible is often very much like that. It's meant to transform our lives from the inside out. It hasn't been given to us so that we can know about God. It's been given to us so that we can know God himself. So when we read, we're reading to meet him. Our first question as we read and study is, what does this text tell me about my God? A.W. Tozer wrote, the Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an infinite or rather intimate and satisfying knowledge of God that they may enter into him. Can you honestly say with the psalmist that you're seeking after God with your whole heart? I have to admit, I don't always do that. I very often stray. We are very divided creatures, aren't we? One minute, we are completely committed to following God. In the next, we're wandering off down a dangerous, self-indulgent path that will lead us into sin and its consequences. And notice the psalmist is recognizing this. Because the very next thing he says in verse number 10, he prays, let me not wander. This is the first of two brief prayers in these eight verses. Listen to the warning that Solomon gives in Proverbs 19.27. Cease to hear instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. So, how do we continue to pursue God? How do we get back on the right pathway this morning? Get in His Word. Don't just read the black and white markings on the page. That's not the point. You have to be absorbed into it and let it absorb itself into you. You have to read it for understanding, you have to take time. This means you'll have to read it more than once. You'll have to be asking questions of the text. You have to pray that God would give you a greater hunger and thirst for him to seek to meet him in his word. And notice there's humility here in this prayer. God, I don't desire you like I ought to. I've often wandered after foolish, selfish, sinful pursuits. So help me not wander from you and your commands. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. This is perhaps one of the most famous verses in all of Psalm 119. The idea, though, of storing up God's word is not just that you take in as much as possible and you you fill the storehouse. It's not just about quantity, but quality. Another translation of this phrase is, I have treasured your word in my heart. So the point is about how we value the word. That must grow. And grow. We all value different things. One of my children is a bit of a collector. Uh, I think that they may get that from me in some ways. But over time, we've seen a collection of rocks, a collection of rocks, average, what we think is average rocks, grow more and more until we had to get that gathering, that collection of rocks, moved out of the room. It was starting to become too big. But each rock caught the eye in such a way that it was desired to add to that collection. It was treasured. There was some sparkle or interesting feature that caused it to be valued. So there was a desire for more and more and more. It's okay that I don't see the same value in those rocks. For my little collector, those rocks are a treasure of sorts. More And more are wanted. Do you value God's word. As a treasure seeker. As a collector. Are you storing up truths that you have learned. Are you taking in the word regularly. Examining it. Saying what's special about this. Why should I value this. What is to be learned here. Are you taking it in. Chewing it. Discussing it. Applying it to your life. As we do. This verse tells us God's word has the unique ability to keep us from sin. Think about that statement. It will keep us from sin. There's an old saying, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. When temptations come, we must have the word readily available in our minds. It does not help to say, Well, I know that's in there somewhere. Where was that again? The goal is to have it nearby, ready at our fingertips, in our minds. It's something we've been thinking about. It's to be held with great conviction in order that we might not give in to all that is appealing in the temptation that we're facing in that moment. When temptations come, we can't say, Well, give, give me a second. I got to go back and find where that is. That's why we're to memorize and meditate on the word. Henry Martin, missionary to India, memorized Psalm 119 as an adult. He had a difficult life, but confessed it was the Bible alone that gave him strength to keep going. David Livingston, missionary to Africa, won a Bible from his Sunday school teacher by repeating Psalm 119, all the verses by heart, when he was only nine years years old. Are we immersing ourselves in the word to keep us on the path? Could we not improve our habits of meditation and memorization like these men who came before us? The goal isn't to say, well, that's, that's the standard. But couldn't we do better than we already are doing if we treasure the word like we ought to? Can you imagine how your temptations, frustrations, Struggles in life would be different if you were meditating on the word more regularly. Second, we're to delight in God through the word. Verse 12 says again, Blessed are you, O Lord. There's an exclamation of praise and then a petition. Teach me your statutes. We can see in this verse again the pursuit of God in the praise and then it's immediately followed by the petition. He's praying that he would know God more fully. He's saying, I see you as valuable. I want to know you more. Psalm 25 verses 4 and 5 says, it's a prayer. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. I want you It's a prayer for God to teach the psalmist more of his words and ways. And this prayer, teach me your statutes, is repeated eight times in Psalm 119. This should be a regular and continual prayer in our hearts as we come before God's word. Every time it's opened, help me to hear, teach me your ways. I like the balance with which Spurgeon explains this verse. He writes, the man of God exerts himself. He's not passive. He wants to know the word, but he does not trust himself. He knows that even his whole strength is not enough to keep him right unless his king shall be his keeper. And he who made the commands shall make him constant in obeying them. We need God's grace to obey. The psalmist is demonstrating that. And then verse 13, with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. There's a focus on the mouth and speech. In this verse, notice how the author focuses on yet another part of the body. Scan back down through the psalm. Notice how many parts of his person he's identifying. He talks about his whole heart, his inner being, the seat of his mind and his emotions and his will. He talks about his lips and his eyes, his memory or his mind, his emotions. The point is to demonstrate this is a wholehearted pursuit of God. It's treasuring God through this word. And Just think, this is the primary way to obey the foundational command to love him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might, and these words I command you today shall be on your heart. The psalmist isn't keeping what he's learning, though, to himself. He says, with my lips I declare this is part of the way we treasure the word. God's word is learned and treasured and absorbed and valued when we discuss it with others. We obey this verse when we sing together with our minds and hearts engaged with the truth even if it's not our favorite song. Colossians 3:16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Do you see how big this is that Paul's setting up? And what's the way that we do this? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. In your hearts to God. With my lips I declare. So we obey this passage. When you actively engage. And participate in our life group discussions. When you talk about what you're learning. From the word. With your wife. Your friends. Your children. You're obeying this text. You obey it when you talk to your pastors. And teachers. And express what specific aspect. Of the truth you appreciated. From their teaching. From the word. You do this when you study God's word with other members of the church family. Now, it's certainly true that you cannot declare what you don't already possess. We're not going to talk about the word very often if we don't value it or possess it or have deep convictions about it ourselves. God never intends for our intake of the word to be a cul-de-sac, to end with us. Instead, he intends for every believer to be a conduit, a channel of truth in the lives of those around you. So can I encourage you, no matter how reserved you might be in personality, to engage in conversations around the word. That's what this psalm is telling you to do. It's modeling for you to do. It doesn't mean that you have to have all the answers or speak all the time. But if you aren't verbalizing what you're learning, how will you encourage believers and let unbelievers know that you're following Christ? Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as in all riches. Later in this psalm, the author will write, your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart And again, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Some of us take great delight in finding a bargain as we're shopping, don't we? It's fun to seek out the best deal and know that we got a great price for that item that we were seeking that we valued. Others in our body enjoy studying investments or learning about valuable cars or some other kind of hobby that they value. The psalmist who very likely knows what it is to have the best life is probably one of the wealthy kings of Israel, perhaps David, perhaps Solomon, perhaps another leader of Israel. He says the word is the greatest treasure to possess. Solomon writes in Proverbs eight eleven: for wisdom is better than jewels. This is the richest king in Israel's history. Wisdom, God's word, is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. This is wisdom from a man who spent great time and effort pursuing all the wrong things. And this is his conclusion. So what are you treasuring above God's word? Lastly, in verses 15 and 16, commit to pursuing God through the word. Now notice the way the verbs are stated in these last two verses. They are stated in the future tense. That means they're stating a commitment. The psalmist is declaring his choice, moving forward, expressing his desires for the future. I will meditate on your precepts and I will fix my eyes on your ways. R. Kent Hughes writes in The Disciplines of a Godly Man, you must remember this, you can never have a Christian mind without reading the scriptures regularly because you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. If you are filled with God's word, your life can then be informed and directed by God. Your domestic relationships, your child rearing, your career, your ethical decisions, your internal moral life. The way to a Christian mind is through God's word. And Paul Tripp writes, the Bible speaks with power and practicality to everything you are facing and thinking and feeling. The God who at times seems so distant to you in this moment is actually near and active and always ready to speak to you. Choose to meditate on his word and fix your eyes on his ways. Then finally, verse 16, this section concludes, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This choice to delight in God's word is also repeated eight times in Psalm 119. Now perhaps at this point you've thought your desire and experience with God's word does not match up with the psalmist here. And in a sense, every single one of us, this, this is a high and holy ambition that all of us should be challenged and encouraged by. But maybe you're thinking, I, I don't delight in God's word like this. I've never felt like this. I don't find it very interesting. And if you're being honest, you find it quite dry and even boring You may not understand how it works or what you're supposed to do when you come to spend time around God's word. Could I encourage you to find someone to talk to in order to help? You're not meant to do this alone. This is a common frustration for all believers at one point or another in their walk with God. We need each other to learn how to interact with God around his word. There is help available. One of the best books that I've read that I've given out often that we have available is learning how to read God's word better. It's called One to One. Come and see me. I'll make sure you get that book and find someone to walk through it with you. The Welsh pastor Jeffrey Thomas shares some wisdom on how to approach our daily Bible reading. He says, do not expect to master the Bible in a day or a month or a year. Rather, expect often to be puzzled by its contents. It's not all equally clear. Great men of God often feel like absolute novices when they read the word. That's okay, he's saying. That's normal. My ways are not his ways. My thoughts are not his thoughts. This is going to take work. The apostle Peter said that there were some things hard to understand in the epistles of Paul. The author writes, I'm glad he wrote those words because I have felt that often. So do not expect always to get an emotional charge or a feeling of quiet peace when you read the Bible. By the grace of God, you may expect that to be a frequent experience, but often you will get no emotional response at all. But let the word break over your heart and mind again and again as the years go by. And imperceptibly, there will come great changes in your attitude and outlook and conduct. You will probably be the last to recognize this. Often you will feel very, very small because increasingly, the God of the Bible will become wonderfully great. That's success in faithful Bible reading. Perhaps you're having a hard time understanding the word or knowing how to interact with the word. Come and get help. But perhaps the Bible has never grabbed your heart or attention because you don't know the person that it's about. You've been trying to do this duty without the spirit of God who wrote the word of God who will explain it to you. In order to grow to love the word, you have to know the person it's about. The Bible is God's own self-revelation. Maybe your need this morning is to come to Christ as your Savior. If you have more questions about that, we'd love to speak with you as well. The last phrase of verse 16 is, I will not forget your word. The NIV translates the verb forget as neglect. It says, I will not neglect your word. This is the commitment we should be making this morning. After we've considered the rest of this text, Lord, I will not neglect your word your word. I want to know you. One believer today urges, put your nose into the Bible every day. It's your spiritual food. And then share it. Make a vow not to be a lukewarm Christian. As we begin to think of our conclusion, I want to ask this question. What is your plan this year for pursuing God in his word? Perhaps you didn't do as well as you would have liked to this past year with your Bible reading. What's your plan for 2023? It's been calculated that it takes 70 hours and 40 minutes to read the entire Bible at a pulpit speaking rate. How easy would it be for you to listen to the entire Bible if you played it in your car on your way to or from work? There are many plans that you can choose from. You can go at any speed. You don't have to read through the Bible in a year. You don't have to do the plan that your friend is doing. You can go at any speed that you find most helpful. I'd be glad to point out all kinds of plans. I can help you. Other pastors, your friends here in church can help you. But my advice for you is to find somebody else in the body to read with and help keep you accountable. There are many, many groups like that going on through the week. But to be clear, the point really isn't about the plan you choose. But the God that you pursue, this, this book is the way he's chosen to reveal himself. If you fail to read the word, then you cannot get to know him better. And you're removing from your life the most important restraint on your own sin nature. Don't be surprised you're not walking with God if you don't read and spend time with him in his word. You can't expect that coming to church and hearing the word taught one or two times a week is enough to help your soul grow like you want to grow. Especially considering all the other things from the world that you're constantly taking in. This is written by an anonymous author highlighting the nature of God's word. God's holy inspired word, the Bible, reveals the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy its precepts are binding, its histories are true, its decisions are immutable or unchangeable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. Here too, heaven itself is opened and the gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is its central subject, our good, its design, the glory of God, its aim. It should fill your memory. It should rule your heart. It should guide your feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth that you will never begin to plumb the depths of. It's a paradise of glory and a river of pleasure. It is given to you in life, it will be opened at the judgment. It will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility. It will reward the greatest labor. Owned, it is riches. Studied, it is wisdom. Trusted, it is salvation. Loved, it is character. Obeyed, it is power. It is the word of God that lives and abides forever. So what kind of time will you spend reading God's word in 2023? How far will you get? How will your walk with Christ be strengthened or diminished by your investment in Bible reading this coming year? Let's ask for his help, that we would know him through his word.